In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The gospel is music. It opens with a joyous aria, the birth of God. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, being found in human form. That's Paul, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. From its joyful beginning... And forward, the score rises, falls, and rises between two themes, passion and resurrection. Passion is the solemn underscore, and today through Friday it fills the room with mournful cello, pounding drums, discordant cymbals. But even today and all through the week, just at the border of our range of hearing, a single tight violin string holds the resurrection note. Faint, but taut, thrilling. A nightmare unfolds from the garden through the courts into the streets, out of the city, and up the hill. But all through the tumult, that glorious note does not relent. Next Sunday, that note will open like a flower and fill the room with resurrection brass and timpani. But then, today's events will still insist on being heard. A soft, low, cello passion chord that gives the resurrection music bottom. And the dance of these opposing themes, overscore and underscore, passion, resurrection, we hear the gospel. And in the gospel we are shown the meaning of our lives. And in that meaning we are saved. We are saved that we might play the music, sing it, live it. Last time I preached, I quoted this from Bart. In the Gospels, everything runs to meet the Passion story. Yet everything in the Passion story runs to meet the Resurrection story. And nothing can be understood except from these two, or better, from the turning point between them. Our own lives, in all their parts, move to meet the resurrection through the passion. The way of the cross, we call this, which is the way to eternal life. On that way, we have our nights, our nights in the Garden of Gethsemane. That thing that we were afraid of happens. We call the doctors or police. And they can't help us. There's nothing left to do but follow Jesus to the garden. Drop to our knees. Pray his prayer. Father, if it be thy will, take away this cup. Sometimes God does. Sometimes not. Think of my mother as a newlywed lying still for a solid week under doctor's orders. It's polio, he said. Don't move. In seven days we'll know if you can walk again. Father, if it be thy will, remove this cup. That time God did remove the cup, and in seven days she walked. 
Then I remember my sister's husband, handsome, strong, vivacious at the age of 39, playing tennis one afternoon and losing badly. Why can't I hit the ball, he wondered, and then realizing I can barely see. His field of vision had been cut in half. They flew him to the Mayo Clinic. Father, if it be thy will, remove this cup. The doctors did their battery of tests and came back grim. We're so sorry. It's a tumor, cancer, in your brain, unreachable. And there would be nothing they could do but slow it down a little bit with radiation. Bonhoeffer said that in faith we drink life to the bottom of the cup. So there come those moments in our lives when we go with Jesus to Gethsemane and share that cup. His pain ours and our pain his. But over the garden wall, out of sight, almost out of hearing, the violin holds that resurrection note, still, taut, and thrilling. Always we have hope in Christ. And hope doesn't disappoint us. Because through the Holy Spirit, God's love has been poured into our hearts. Paul said that too. From the garden, let's move out into a courtyard. It is crowded, buzzing with excited rumors. Soldiers, tourists, locals mix and mill around a fire. Among them is collar up, his head tucked, avoiding every eye. It's Peter. Now there's a commotion. The soldiers hustle Jesus through to lock him down for the night. Jesus spies Peter by the fire. Jesus knows his friend. He turned towards, turns towards Peter, who looks away too late. We can count on this. Lurking in every worked-up crowd, there is someone eager to identify a culprit. Hey, I've got it, the woman shouts, pointing at Peter. You know him. You're with his crew. Woman, I do not know him. Peter's first denial. A moment later comes the second, this time to a male accuser who cries, You, you, yes you, you're one of them. Man, I'm not, he swears. I'm no friend of Jesus. Two denials down, one to go. An hour later, another nosy witness snitches. Certainly this man also was with him. He's a Galilean. This time Peter screams, Man, I do not know what you're saying. Jesus looks him in the eye. Symbols clash. Cello mourns. A rooster crows. In this section of the Bible, Peter represents our failings too. Sometimes in life, we flunk the test, spiritually and morally. And these tests can happen so fast that we never saw them coming. I tell young clergy to expect to face a test of some sort every three years. If that holds for priests, it may be because it's true for everyone. According to Bart, we live in the turn from doubt to faith, despair to hope, injury to pardon. We live in the turn, not beyond it. It is always just happening. 
on Bluebird, sunny, faithful days. Doubt is still in sight, but way back there in the rearview mirror. Blink once, and now it's in the back seat. Blink twice, now it's riding shotgun. And every now and then, it tries to grab the wheel. In the heat of the moment, Peter's doubt took over. Let's remember that Peter has a wife and children who need him. By lying, he goes free. If he tells the truth, who knows what happens to them. He fails the test. But when Jesus called him rock, he knew what he was getting. On this rock I will build my church, he declared, and the powers of hell shall not prevail against it. Maybe Jesus said that with a little smile. But our church is built on a faith that lost its nerve in crisis. And through the Holy Spirit, God's love has been poured into our hearts. That love turns darkness to its own advantage. And that's how the powers of hell are overthrown. When Christ returns come Easter, he doesn't deny his own denier. Jesus doesn't say to Peter, I don't know you. Instead, he asks three times, Peter, do you love me? Three times Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Three times Jesus says, so feed my sheep. Peter's threefold experience of failure makes him that much stronger now. And by the end of his life, he has become the man he had always boasted that he would be. In our losses, through our trials, we are more than conquerors in Christ. It is true, as promised, that as we wait upon the Lord, we shall renew our strength. We do mount up with wings like eagles. In this music of the gospel, we run up and down the scales from note to note and do not grow weary. We walk through death and do not faint.